Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. And there's a lot of verses that talk about the mystery of God. We're not going to go all through them, but in the New Testament, a mystery is a truth that God has concealed in the Old Testament, but is now made manifest in the New Testament through Christ and his apostles. Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob concludes chapter 10 in the book of Revelation. Our scripture says, the mystery of God would be finished. What mystery? A mystery in the Bible is something no one could know unless it was revealed to him. If you could know it by intuition or personal investigation, it isn't a mystery because mysteries must be revealed. Therefore, something can be known and still be a mystery in the biblical sense. To find out more about this mystery, let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study. If you, if you don't embrace God, you've only got one other alternative, and that's just to give in to the flesh and live for tomorrow we die. Have a big party, because that's all you've got. But now when you're accountable to God... The angel knew very well. Notice there's no debate in heaven about whether who, who created it. No, he created it. It was a very single thing. He spoke and it happened. None of this evolution, none of this theistic evolution where God used millions of years. No, he did not use millions of years. He spoke and it was good in the evening and the day and the, in the morning and then, and then the next day and then the next day. He created it all in six days. Literal 24-hour days, he created it all. Is your God so small that he can't do that? No, he's not. Our God is big. He can do anything. Exalt him. Glorify him for who he is. Amen? Exalt him. Glorify him. (laughs) Amazing. Is it still the theory of evolution? Jesus is the creator. Let's just look at a couple of quick things here. And you all know this, but for those of you who are new, be reminded again. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did he create it by over millions of years? No, it says he created it. And then the morning and the evening, or the evening and the morning were the first day. And then he created other things. And he continued to create in that creation week. What does it say in Colossians? 
He, who's speaking of, Paul's speaking of Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Notice that. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Thrones and dominions, principalities and powers, all these things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And guess what? In him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, not the Pope. He is the head of the body of Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Hallelujah. (laughs) What about John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. We know that's Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Logos, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense to me. We already read Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows forth his handiwork. His handiwork is in the earth. He made it. And what does it say in Psalm 24? We've read this too. The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. But his judgment is not going to delay, and that's what it means when he says there'll be delay no longer. And this is certainly a prayer of those tribulation saints that we read in Revelation chapter 6 when they cried out with a loud voice saying, Oh, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were were completed. God is going to answer that prayer now as he pours out this last wave of judgments and it'll be an answer prayer too how many of us have prayed the model prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name thy kingdom come thy will be done he's going to answer that prayer his kingdom is coming his kingdom lives in you right now but soon you're going to see the physical manifestation of it when christ returns from the earth notice verse 7 in our text but in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet when he is about to sound the mystery of god would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets and there's a lot of verses that talk about the mystery of god we're not going to go all through them but in the new testament a mystery is a truth that god has concealed in the old testament but is now made manifest in the new testament through christ and his apostles There are many things. Let me just read one to you in Ephesians um, 1 verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, Paul says, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. This mystery of his will. The mystery. The mystery. And I love what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says to Timothy, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifested in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. He was justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the church of which you and I are, that is a mystery that the Old Testament prophets knew nothing about. They were scratching their head. They didn't even know about this entity called the church that you and I are a part of. And they were even foggy about Jesus. Had Had it not been foggy, certainly the Sadducees and the Pharisees would have all embraced him. 
But they were. It was in the scriptures prophesied of Jesus. Who he was, his redemptive plan was, is in there. If you're looking for it, it's not that hard. I love what it says in Amos. It says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. These wonderful men of God who God shared things with. Things that they had not known before. And there are even some things that God didn't clue them in on. Some of them. In Genesis, you remember that even when the angels came to, the three angels came to Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and what, did, what was said? It says, Then the, the men arose from there, and they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great nation and a mighty nation? God revealed to him what he was about to do. And that's why we get Abraham's response, Lord, if there's, if there's, if there's even 30 left in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lord, would you save them? Yeah, I'll, I'll save them. He goes through that whole thing. If there's 10, if there's 10, if there's 10 people that are there, because Lot and his family live there, his nephew and his family live there, he had natural concern for them. But God knows what he's doing, and he reveals his secret to the prophets, and sometimes he withholds. I even love in one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel says that he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. He was illuminating things, giving him wisdom and understanding concerning things to come. So finally, verse 8, it says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And this little book is uh, bibliar... Uh, I'm going to get this word wrong here. Let me, um, bibliaritin. Bibliaridian, there we go. Uh, and basically it's a, a Greek word, which means a small little booklet. A small little booklet. So uh, this little booklet's there, and the angel tells him, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And um, we can relate this possibly to the scroll that was shown to us in Revelation chapter 5. Remember Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, goes up before God, the Father, and takes the seven-sealed scroll out of his hand. And that word for that, uh, for that scroll is literally biblion, which is a diminutive, or this, is, this word is a, a larger book, and the, the one here in verse 10, or in chapter 10, excuse me, is a diminutive of that term. And so this, could it be a part of that book? Could it be the last seven judgments of the book? The vile judgments, the bull judgments, could that be just a portion of it that now this angel is standing on the sea and in the earth and he's opening up those last final? It could be. It could be. Can't be too dogmatic about it, but what is it speaking of? It's speaking of the judgment. Isn't that what the scroll was? It was an unraveling of the judgments that were coming. And he says, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel and then he goes and he takes it. And that really strikes me because he didn't say, well, this guy's pretty amazing, Lord. I don't want to just go up and take it out of his hand. But you notice John was assertive. He was told to do it, and he didn't ask questions. He just he went and he did it. And I want to ask you this morning, you know, many of us are in different places. But, you know, spend that time with the Lord. Spend that time in his word. I know I've, I've kind of pounded on that door quite a bit today. 
But be assertive and deliberate in your reading of it, and especially in obeying it. Be assertive in your relationship with Jesus Christ, just like you would with your own marriage. Have you found that your marriage is sort of falling apart? Have you found that it needs some repair? Well, maybe your relationship with Jesus needs some repair too. Because if we neglect those things, it is, it starts to fall apart. There's two relationships on this earth that are most important, and I'll give you them in order. God and your spouse, if you have a spouse, and then your family. The most important relationships are God and your spouse and then your family. Don't you want that? To really nurture those relationships because, I don't know about you, as I look around, I find, I find things falling apart quite rapidly. What the world needs is Jesus. What I still need is Jesus. Do you still need Jesus? I still need him every single day, and you do too. The word of God. He says, so I went to the angel, and I said to him, give me the little book, and he said to me, take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And the, the word of God is like that for us, isn't it? When we take it in, it is sweet to us. It is sweet. But it's also bitter because now we've got to share the, the difficulty of part of the gospel, which is the judgment that's coming. That's the bad news. That's never easy. That's always bitterness to us. We don't like talking about that. I'd much rather tell them how much God loves them. Boy, people respond to that usually. But nobody wants to hear that they're a sinner. But somebody told me that I was a sinner. And he proved it. He opened the Bible to chapter and verse. And this is what got me saved. (laughs) This is where I gave my heart to Christ. He said, Rob, this is one of your issues that I know about. And this is what God has to say about it. And he showed it to me in the Old Testament and the New Testament and I fell apart. Cracked like an egg. I realized that I had sinned against God. And that if I didn't change my ways, I had a destiny. And it wasn't with him. But then he showed me other scriptures about the love of God. And he can wash away your sin. And you'll never have to worry about spending your eternity away from him, separated. But you can be with him for eternity Right, And I love that, love that. But the message of the gospel is spurned by most. And I love what it says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering. He's patient, isn't he? Toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I love also what it says in Ezekiel 33. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his way and live. So turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He loves people. Even the most wicked people on the earth, God loves. You and I look at them and we hate them. Hopefully we don't hate them. Hopefully we have pity for them. One of the most difficult men in all of history, Nebuchadnezzar, his testimony is written for us in the Bible. I believe it's Daniel chapter 4. He extolled the God of heaven after he went through his period of time. And I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see the nebulous one. Nebi. We're going to see Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to ask him, what was it like, man, having your hair grow out? Did you look like, you know, you know some of those country rock stars? You know, with the, you know, your nails are growing out. You look like, you know. He did. He went through it. He came to the end of himself, and God was there at the end of himself and saved this man. 
in glory with we will be with him for eternity. Verse 9, so I went to the angel and I said to him, give me the little book. And he said, take it and eat it. Now, we don't have time to go there. Um, actually, I, I will. Um, we will go there really quickly. And let me just summarize it because we're running out of time. In Ezekiel chapter 2, uh, verse 8, beginning in verse 8. A similar thing happened to Ezekiel, where God told him to eat his scroll. It's recorded for us, Ezekiel 2, beginning in verse 8. He says, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And of course, God is laying out his indictment against Jerusalem for their idolatry. And remember, Ezekiel's prophesying from Babylon... And he is writing back to the remnant that are in Jerusalem and those that are there uh, currently in Babylon. Because remember, the Babylonians went into captivity in 606 B.C. And it was for a, a, not for another 20 years that the temple was ultimately destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So the, in those 20 years, Ezekiel's writing this book of Ezekiel. And he's writing for them the things that are going to come. But he told him, he says, he says, I looked and when I was, uh, there was a hand stretched out to me, Ezekiel says, in this vision that he has. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And then he spread it out before me. And there was writing on the inside and on the outside. And, um, and notice, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe, difficult things yet to come. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. But he also knew as we go on in in Ezekiel, which we're not going to do right now, he had to tell Israel, God told him to tell them what is coming upon Jerusalem. They were still in, in Babylon in their captivity, and the, and the temple hadn't been destroyed yet. They're waiting. It would be another 20 years before it would finally be destroyed. And God told Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do. You can read the rest of this chapter and the next few chapters after this, and it's really interesting what God has this prophet do, laying on his side, and he's basically setting up a model of Jerusalem. But judgment was coming. And as we see in Ezekiel in chapters 2 and 3, God has Ezekiel eat his scroll, and we see the same thing happening here. And I believe this is God's judgment, and he's, right, he's eating those things that he's going to have to share. And certainly John does share it. He does share it. So, verse 10, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Notice his proactivity. He went and he took it. And he said to me, you must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, and tongues, and kings. And certainly John, again, would do that very thing. as He would continue to pen this book that God was revealing to him. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The unveiling of Jesus Christ and his plan of redemption. And certainly John, after this... After he wrote this book, he would live for a, few, a number of years afterwards until he finally died in, on the island, in uh, Ephesus. Because remember, he was given this book on the Isle of Patmos out in the Aegean Sea. While he was out there under servitude, under Domitian, they couldn't kill him. They couldn't boil him. They tried to kill him. They couldn't kill him for some reason. God's providence. They sent him out to this mining community out in the middle of the Aegean Sea on the Isle of Patmos. He's there as an old man. Can you imagine that, guys? 
Some of you get home from work and your knees and your back is hurting you. And here, this guy, he's in his late 80s, 90s. And they're telling him, okay, pick up that rock and take it over there. And you got a bunch of lot more rocks here. We want you to move them over there. We want you to do this and do that. And that's what he did. And that's where God gave him this revelation, showing him the end things, the things to come, things that are yet to come. And I don't know about you, but as I look at the world and the things that are happening in the world, things are going along just as God has ordained. Don't think for a minute that what's going on is somehow God doesn't understand or it's outside of God's understanding. He's very much aware of what's going on, and it's all going as planned. Let that encourage you, folks, because there are people that you know that have no clue of what's happening. They're scared to death. And there are a lot of Christians, because they're not reading this and because they don't know the Bible, they're scared to death as well. They may be saved, but they haven't done anything with their relationship with the Lord. They haven't read. They don't read anymore. And they're scared to death. And yet the answer and the the solace is all right there. I'd rather be told what's coming rather than it happen to me by chance or happen to me by surprise. Wouldn't you agree? And that's what God does. Why does he do that? Because he loves He loves you and I. And that's what this book is all about. He's forewarning, telling people. And this ought, again, to spur us to action, spur us to evangelization. To be an evangelical, that's what we are. We are to evangelize. We are to go out and tell people the good news. Tell them the bad news, too. But there's the good news is so much better. But tell them the bad news, give them the good news, and love on them, and don't judge them. Love on them. I'm so glad that somebody loved on me when I was in the middle of my sin. That somebody, some Christian just, just didn't come up to me and say, you know what, you're a filthy, rotten sinner. You're going to go to hell. I'm so glad nobody did that. I had two men in my life that were really wonderful. One of them was David Rickards. The other one was Orlando Roman. David Rickards was one of those guys in high school. He was the only guy that I knew of that was really born again. I mean, this guy was really born again. And everybody was like, this guy is really weird. He loved the Lord. And he would say, hey, man, I'm so blessed. We are praying for you today. Man, I'm so glad that God brought you into the earth, you know, that you were born. I remember him telling me that. I'm like looking at him like. But he was the first guy I called when I got saved. I said, David, your prayers were efficacious in my salvation. Thank you, brother. Now I understood everything, and boy, we had a great conversation. And the, young, and the young man who led me to Christ was Orlando Roman, Puerto Rican fellow who I love with all my heart. Pray for him. I don't know where he's at right now, but he told me the truth. He lovingly told me the truth. That's what we need to do. Lovingly tell them the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and especially the wonderful, right? We have to know it all. Let's stand together. Lord, you've touched our hearts this morning, Father, and you certainly challenged us. And Lord, there's, uh, we know that there is so much yet to come, Lord, and we're thankful, Lord, that you love us so much. And we're thankful, Lord, that, Lord, we don't need to fear what's coming upon the earth. If we believe in you, we will be removed from this earth as your word says, before these things that we're reading take place. And Lord, we pray that we would be 
working and, and talking and praying for family and friends and loved ones, coworkers. Lord, touch the lives of those people that we love and bring them into the kingdom. Help us to be vocal about it. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, even to the end of the age which we are approaching. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great day. I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.